Good morning. I'm your host, Claudia Shamba, welcoming you to the July 5th, 2022 edition of Ask a Leader. Returning to my show are Metropolitan Water District affiliates of different ways, Ellen Mackey, Gina Chavez, and Jason Sierras. A brief introduction for each one of them. Ellen is a senior ecologist with the Metropolitan Water District of SoCal, and her other role is the leader of the Mets Union of Women's Caucus. Also returning is Gina Chavez, water pump plant mechanic. One of the SCORE women has been challenging the workplace culture at the Met, featured in the Los Angeles Times article penned by Adam Elmaharik. Joining us today anew is Jason Sierras, who is an aqueduct pump specialist for the Met, employed in this position for 18 and a half years. Prior to the Met, he operated a 520 megawatt power plant. Before that, he was a Wheelwright in power plants. His certifications include machining, HVAC, water treatment operator work, distribution operations, electromechanical relay technology. He was a boiler operator and he has an associate of arts degree in business management. Gina comes to us today from Lake Havasu City, Arizona. Ellen from San Fernando Valley. Jason from Yucca, Arizona. We now pick up, as I said, from where we left off last August, 2021. Welcome all of you to Ask a Leader. Hi, this is Ellen. Good morning, and thank you for having us back. Hi, this is uh, Jason Sierras. Thank you for having me on the show today. Hey, Claudia. It's Gina Chavez here again with you. Thanks for having us back. Well, thank you all. First, we must have you briefly describe your jobs. That is the setting where you've been working, the kinds of functions, as well as the workplace experiences. And I want for listeners to continue appreciating that as we venture into this part of the story, there are some very vulnerable features that we must respect. And we get this at a cost to these employees for the kind of trauma they've had at this very undermining workplace at times. Ellen, could we start with you? Okay. But just briefly for a basis of comparison with Gina and Jason. I work downtown. I work as an environmental specialist. I work on environmental regulatory issues and CEQA issues. As an ecologist, I'm looking over different projects and evaluating them from that perspective. But for the past two years, I've been almost exclusively working on these women caucus issues as a union steward. But I wanted to correct one thing very quickly. I resigned as a union steward and as a union officer because I became so disappointed with the leadership at the union, manipulating, lying. I could no longer manage the sexism within the executive office, so I had to resign. AFSCME stands for the American Federation of State County Municipal Employees. Okay. Gina, can we pick up your story? I originally work at the Eagle Mountain Pump Plant Facility, which is one of their remote locations. It takes like an hour to get to emergency services or get any kinds of groceries. So that's the kind of location I work at. 
as a mechanic there, I am more of a preventative maintenance mechanic. So I just maintain and making sure that all the pumps are working correctly and making sure that most of Southern California is getting their water. So we got to make sure those machines are going. So that's my job. But currently I am um, off of work still. And you are, you have the record for being on leave. Is it un or paid leave at this point? I'm on paid leave. Actually, see, that's where this update is comes in. I went back to work for a week in March. So up until that point, I was on paid leave, administrative leave. But because of some retaliation and pretty much protest about me being there, I had to leave work again. And I'm currently out on medical leave. Okay. All those distinctions then. Okay. Thank you. And yeah. Okay. And, (laughs) but we hear a chuckle, but that is traumatic being, (sighs) being the recipient of that kind of intimidation and all and retribution. So how are you doing right at this moment, Gina? I want to find out. Uh, I'm, mostly trying to focus on like my mental health right now because it's been such a long journey I mean you've known I mean you've been along with us it's been over a year since every or actually more than that since everything started coming out and us speaking publicly so to have to constantly advocate for yourself it's always like almost on like a daily basis because me and Ellen talked so much and had to cover so many things you don't realize how much of a toll it's taken on you until your body gives out. It's hard. It's really hard. But, you know, I'm going to keep going because we have to keep fighting this inequality that's happening to everyone at work. And like we were talking about, it's not just women. It's even our allies are taking heat for helping us. So even though it's hard and there's a few of us compared to a huge state government agency, we're going to keep doing it. It doesn't matter how big they are. They're still wrong. And we're going to continue to like tell our truth and make sure everyone hears it and what's going on. Because this is uh, public money that's getting put into fighting people like us, fighting the truth. So, yes. And before we ask for Jason's quick take, have you been getting requests from other media outlets since You've been sharing your truth with all of us since Adam Elmaharik's coverage in the Los Angeles Times. You're sort of an example to a lot of union members, a lot of workers around the country. But I'm wondering if you're a voice that others are soliciting and your experience is being picked up elsewhere. I wouldn't say so much like media wise, but as in like we've actually me and Ellen ourselves spoke to another union group. Who were they? uh, Ellen, who was the group that we spoke to? They were local tradeswomen who wanted to because they heard about what we were doing and wanted to know what our process was. And local being LA, you mean, or the Southwest USA or local where? LA. Okay. Around here. Okay. Well, all right. So you're in like union newsletters and and, uh, bulletins and blogs, maybe. Yeah. More women are picking up, I would say on us, like, because after that meeting, now I follow those ladies on social media and you can see that they are transitioning and feeling stronger in their positions because 
they wanted to know how exactly Ellen was taking on these people, taking on their own refs, because that's some of their issues too, is that their own union representatives were not helping them. And that's an issue that I faced. MWD shows, you know, very poor numbers on how many women they hire and women of color. They're not meeting even like getting close to, I don't know, like even 50%. I think we only had like 23% or something like that. And it's declining too. That's the yeah, and The trend yeah. isn't going up, it's down. Well, our union at Met representation wise is even worse. We barely have any women reps. Like when I was out here in the desert, I was like one of the first female reps to be a president. And it is hard because you are the only one. And then all of a sudden, all these women want to come to you. And that's like really hard because your own leadership, you bring all these issues to them, like all these women's issues, but then they turn a deaf ear to it. They don't want to help you. They don't want to grieve it and they have the power to move things forward for you. So that's where a lot of these other women's groups are reaching out to us because they're hitting a wall within their own unions and they need help breaking through that. And that's what they saw that we did. Because if we didn't move forward and Ellen asked for forgiveness later instead of permission first from our executive leader, we wouldn't have done as much as we have. He didn't want us to speak publicly. He fought. He was upset about it. He didn't want us to do it. So that's the kind of support advice that we're trying to give out when these women reach out to us, because it's not just about men. It's about equality and fairness all around. I mean, if you keep spreading that, it's going to get better. Share that knowledge, that game plan and make people feel more empowered to fight for their right and their truth. And for those listeners who have not heard previous shows, the rub here for Gina is she was asked to appear in a recruitment video to bring more women on. And that's part of her trauma is that she was trying to provide something to the agency, but it was actually an inappropriate way of co-opting her. And so that's always been a very problematic thing is trying to bring more women on. But the way they've done it, it's been a traumatic exercise for you. So for those of you who've just joined us, my guests are Ellen Mackey, senior ecologist, who formerly was leader of the American Federation of State, County and Municipal Police Women's Caucus, no longer that. Gina Chavez was a water pump plant mechanic, currently on medical leave. And we're going to get to Jacob Sierras. He's an aqueduct pump specialist. They're all a sampling of the men and women who are challenging the workplace culture at the Metropolitan Water District. We're recording this interview on July 1st. So, Jason, long last, let's ask you the same questions, what your role is, what your functions are that you perform, the setting where you're working. I introduced you as you're out there in Arizona and uh, some of those dynamics and what brought you to speak out in support of Gina, as well as others that you want to support at the union, at the Met? Sure. Like, uh, like you said, I'm aqueduct pump specialist. So my primary function or core function is mainly all the major overhauls on the pumps that deliver the water from Colorado River into uh, Los Angeles and the other member agencies. So that's my core business is what I'm supposed to be doing. Currently, I'm on paid administrative leave. I've been on paid administrative leave for about a year and two months. 
how it kind of came about is when the LA Times article came out, people on the team and stuff were complaining about it and saying that's not true. And it just so happens that I was there at that time under the same manager that Gina was. And I started speaking out saying, no, what she said in that article is true. That really happened. So that's kind of where it started at. And, you know, started getting retaliation from my supervisor and went to complain to a manager about the retaliation. And uh, the manager actually drew on the whiteboard what would happen if I turned my boss in for retaliation and how it would stunt my career and how I'd have that name attached to my name that, you know, I just make complaints and things like that. So that's how it started. It still sounds like intimidation to me. Uh, I agree because it, it did intimidate me. <laughs> and he, he told me to go and find some because me and my supervisor had a disagreement uh, item where told me I was dragging on the job and I explained that I wasn't. And was it some heat related kinds of things? When Gina was previously on, she talked about extreme heat also during a pregnancy. But I imagine everybody has to deal with that heat and it's not apparent that the protocols are being observed at the Met about keeping the workplace safe for all of you. Oh, we normally work out in the heat as far as my team. What Gina is referring to, actually, she was put up in a the metal shed to do sling inventory when she was pregnant. And that's one of the things that I happened to witness because I was there at the time. And that was also in the LA Times article that I was speaking out against my supervisor which at the time was the same as her supervisor. So yeah, that's how everything kind of got started because I was telling everybody that know what Gina said in the LA Times article was that's actually what happened. And Gina originally started on our team. I was actually the last person on our team that was still there when these things occurred, except for my supervisor. And Gina and I are kind of intertwined on a lot of our stuff because I was a vice president of our group And I was trying to help Gina out. And I referred her to our union president, which is Alan Shanahan. And I was on speakerphone with Gina when Alan was promising her stuff that she would get the first transfer back to Gene Camp and things like that. That never even happened. And this was back about 17 years ago. 17 years ago, Alan Shanahan made promises that were not kept? It wasn't 17. It was 10 because... I'm going by pregnancy because Anakin's 10. (laughs) Okay. So it was a decade ago. It was a decade ago. That's a long time. And those terms were never met. Correct. Wow. So that kind of puts me on a bad footing with the union because I'm sticking up for Gina saying, hey, no, this happened. And the union didn't do anything about it. So now I'm having the union against me and I'm having my supervisor against me. So this really, there's a structural problem if a worker with an established record following the kind of protocol for maintaining the facility, following all of that, and there is really nobody that had your back, union, the managers in the whole organization. So we'll transition with the actual union experiences since you've already started talking about them, and we can maybe work in whether the new general manager, Adele Haj Khalil, how this may signal a 
bit of a change in practices at the Met. So you're not in a squeeze. You're just sort of getting kicked out of the whole chain of protocols to protect you at the workplace, Jason. So, and Alan Shanahan has been a part of this union when you, Ellen, had left the union several months ago, correct? Yes. So for the three of you to talk about what does an employee inside of a a large agency doing something like distribute water to all we rate payers. So you're dangling by a a thread here. I I like to say that they're twisting in the wind. And I think what happened is that in order to maintain good relationships with HR and upper management as a union president and executive management within the union, you sometimes fall into this pit of trading off some employee issues for other employee issues. And you're picking your battles. You're well, it's not even picking your battles. It's worse than picking your battles. It's trading. Okay. Give me this person and we'll give you that. We'll sit lightly on this. But I think there was some horse trading going on because it's the only reason I can think that the women especially would have been able to be left twisting in the wind for 10 years. They were left with no one supporting them. And I think it became very inconvenient at the time that Adam Almarek called me after we spoke in July of 2020, because suddenly the light was on, was going to be shone on what was going on. And union executive management got upset. Yeah, shouldn't be talking to the LA Times. Well, no, we need to change things. That was the only lever left. That was, we had nothing left. So I knew that was going to happen. I've talked about this previously. I had a whole year already scheduled out. But I think that for executive management, I know that when the, the article came out in the LA Times, the first thing that County Supervisor Janice Hahn asked, well, where was their union? Well, the union did not have an answer to where they were. And I had a discussion with the union president at the beginning of January and said, before the article comes out, you better hire a PR firm because there's going to be a lot of uncomfortable questions and you've never answered the question, why didn't you do something? Where were you for 10 years? So you're going to have to come up with some kind of an answer for that because yes, I'm here now. I'm here now. But what about you for 10 years? So I think what happened was the PR firm came on and through discussions, they decided to start the state audit. So the only response that the union has at this point is, Well, we started the state audit, and yes, the state audit was a complete vindication of everything we said, and it's a very harsh indictment of leadership at Metropolitan. And the union can say, yes, we started this. I gave testimony to the state legislative audit committee as well as the president. But as good as that was, the women were still left out there to twist in the wind for 10 years, and the amount of damage that that was done to them is still even to today, we're seeing it, but the damage continues on. It keeps rolling on and you can't make up for that with a state audit. We're grateful for that. So the Shaw report became a fact gathering mechanism that the Metropolitan Water District contracted. So there were two different parts to that. The Shaw Law Group, as a result of our insistence and our board director supporters and outside supporters, helped us push through a cultural assessment 
that ethics headed up. The ethics office had a contract with the Shaw Law Group to do a cultural assessment. I'm not going to discuss how that went. It did show much of what we said, but it, it was very, it was a disappointment. We talked about that in the previous show, August of last Correct. year. And that but, but there was what a wasn't part. said was kind of revealing too. So it's a, it's a very interesting document, their final yes. report. But there was a second part to it. By this time, we had 16 different complaints in between four of us. That would be Gina Chavez, Lee King, Miranda Grow, and myself. And there were so many that they also allowed the Shaw Law Group to do an investigation into those complaints. So that was a different contract, was a different investigator. She dug in and she went through records. She went through emails. She knew who sent emails, who opened emails, who downloaded documents, who started documents. She really dug in. And she is an investigator for the Shaw Group. She was the investigator for the Shaw Law Group. Okay. So came up with her results. So there are still four reports out there that Metropolitan is fighting hard to not release. And the question is, what are you covering up? What is in those reports? And I can tell you that one example of what I think went on, one example is that we talked about this before, the petition that was started last year. This was one of my complaints that there was a petition that was circulated against the Women's Caucus and myself accusing us of creating a hostile work environment and could have incited violence against myself. And the investigation done by the Shaw Law Group actually, and we got summaries of these. So this is from the actual summary from the Shaw Law Group through Metropolitan Water District. They named the individuals who began, edited, and circulated the petition, including the board secretary, Rosa Castro, and the executive office manager, Lori Lala, the external affairs section manager, Bob Muir, as well as Sandra Velasco, the naive front person who headed up the effort, but she was also retiring last July, so they knew they could sacrifice her. But who is missing from that whole list? Lori Lala served as executive secretary to Jeff Keitlinger. Jeff Keitlinger was a previous GM. His name is missing from the summaries. We suspect very strongly that he was an instigator because all of these people and their job responsibilities intersect at the GM. So that could be one thing that's being hidden by the Shaw Law Group and being desperately covered up by legal. The other thing is we also know that there were threat assessments that, that were done that are also part of these reports. When there was a threat assessment that was done for Gina Chavez in December of 2020, by the threat assessor who did a psychological evaluation slash assessment of Gina, even though the threat assessment was supposed to be of one of her colleagues. He did a threat assessment of her, and we know it's an appendix to one of the reports. That he did this without her consent, without telling her it was going on. So we suspect that that is in there too. And we suspect that legal does not want this information exposed. So briefly, the threat assessment is, is it about her disposition or is it a threat they perceive that she posed to the organization? So we're clear for those of us that are outside of the organization. She felt unsafe. She felt threatened by a colleague who was over her at the time. And she told me about it. And I said, okay, now I either have to report this or you're going to have to report it. So we reported it. And as a follow-up, they have to do a formal threat assessment to see if this person is actually a threat. 
Okay. And, but they didn't pursue what Gina, you had requested. And instead they went back to you and they did an unconsented kind of a, a workup on you. Exactly. Okay. We found out about it and we think that there is a formal assessment in this report which is why we keep asking for it, but it's also why legal is struggling and are working mightily to keep it from being released because they will be exposed for what they've been doing. We I understand that. And I know, I'm sure Adam Al-Maharik over at the LA Times has been sending requests for uh, information for that since he's been working on this for quite a few years at this point. Is yes. there something that ratepayers or other entities can do to pry open something that it should be a very public document. Is there anything that's been discussed among your circles all about how to put pressure on disclosing what's actually being sat upon there by the various legal departments at the Metropolitan Water District? We are having people, supporters are calling in from outside, are calling in and asking to have it released. So we do have that going on. We know that they're invoking attorney-client privilege, and attorney-client privilege has been supported by the courts unless there is something that is illegal within the report. So you're talking about maybe fellow workers in other organizations, but are there ratepayer kinds of opportunities to exert pressure? Anybody can call in during a board. Or legislators. Yes. Are there legislators that are tapped into this? No. It's only the whole state. Well, the board members are also debating it, and we still have supporters on the board who put it on to the agenda for July. It's this month, then. It's up for discussion on the board. Yes. All 30-some of them. So they could vote to release it, whether it's redacted or not. At this point, everybody knows the story. It's like we can just fill in the names, but I think that legal is sawing off their own branch there. So Ellen, in terms of remedies here, you've painted this picture very clearly, but is there a way that we go directly as ratepayers to our commissioner that represents our district and our region? Do we put pressure on them to pursue this at the board level? Is that a meaningful way? That could work for people in Orange County, definitely. And uh, other counties, but and other whoever... Counties wherever the listeners are coming from. So I'm trying to get some prescriptive measures out there so there is an opportunity to make this right. So Jason, have you yourself talked to the Shaw Law Group when you have experienced these kinds of problems at the workplace? Yeah, so actually I've talked to the Shaw Law Group a couple of times. What was it like? Uh, it was very friendly, very comfortable doing the interview. However, the, I sent them my whole journal of all text messages and dates and times of all the retaliation that was happening to me. And to me, the report seemed really watered down. In terms of quality or the quantity of transgressions? In terms of the quantity of transgressions. I don't so that think still is a record you're keeping. And so three of you did the audit that the California state performed. Whose data was the audit using? The auditors, they had interviews with people who wanted to be interviewed, and then they could go through anything they wanted at the district. So they had- Did they go to the union privileged documents too? No, they couldn't go to union documents, but they could go through all of the documents at Metropolitan. But the four Shaw Law Group reports that legal is shielding, 
the state auditors did have it, but they couldn't discuss it because legal invoked attorney-client privilege, even though they said they wouldn't last June. Wow. So there's a lot of discretion that legal is using, and I'm sure it's not a surprise to many that they would try to use that kind of leverage. But the ultimate leverage is what the commissioners would demand. But they can't make a legal call. Legal makes legal calls. Correct. So So that's a bind that the whole agency's in. Correct. They saw what was in the reports. They know whose names were in the reports. They saw if they were psychological evaluations, but because the general counsel invoked attorney-client privilege, that silenced them. So is there a personally contracted legal person that could challenge the legal determination of attorney-client privilege at the Met? Where's the ultimate way to break through and call any kind of a bluff that might be an injudicious determination made by the legal department at the Met? Well, this is outside of my purview because I was a scientist, not an attorney, but my understanding from listening to the board meetings is that they're struggling with that right now. It sounds like the board can tell legal to release the Shaw Law Group report, but it's not clear if they have the last word yet. And I think that's going to be part of the discussion. Okay. Wow. And it's a July meeting. So I don't know if that's by design when sometimes people, their attention is directed elsewhere in summer months, sort of like maybe end of year holiday season. So, but that is not at all a concern. That's not a design. Uh I wouldn't be so sure. Okay. For those of you who've just joined us, my guests are Ellen Mackey, formerly the Women's Caucus President for the American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees. Gina Chavez, formerly water pump plant mechanic, who is now on a medical leave. Jacob Sierras, an aqueduct pump specialist, all a sampling of the people that are challenging the workplace culture at the Metropolitan Water District. We're talking about the documents prepared by the Shaw Law Group, one of which was released last August. We broke that down on the last show, then following that meeting at the Metropolitan Water District. And there are several others that are under wraps by the legal department of the Metropolitan Water District. And then the audit. So the other institutional piece that really needs some of your coverage here is the new manager, Adele Haji Khalil. How are you evaluating all of you? Let's start with Gina and Jason, and we have hear from Ellen so we can hear more of Gina and Jason's voices. How would you appraise his job as the new general manager for now one year almost in terms of access to the rank and file and the accountability and the kind of leadership he's performing right now? Yeah, this is Gina. I am still very cautiously optimistic. He seems very positive and wanting to change things and go in the right direction. I just know that there's a lot of old guard holding up the show for him to move forward. On the commission um, or in the, the various legal and other divisions? I or would both. say all of it, like from the board all the way to people in the inside company. It seems like there's a lot of people that are resistant to change because it sheds a light on their past faults and wrongdoings and how they've been doing business. I just hope that we can just push through this and make sure that we can continue to change things at work because he 
he wants to do that. I know he does. And I know he's trying to set up programs and accountability. It just hasn't got here yet. And I know those things don't happen overnight, but I am waiting to still see some results on like stuff locally because the people that started this are still struggling. Miranda, Lee, myself, Jason, because Jason jumped in with us too, and Ellen, like we are still here fighting it. So we just hope that he stands by us through this and doesn't give in to what's easier. And that easier is going with majority of what these people have been doing in the past. But we have the state audit to back us up. And I think that's probably going to help him more because now he's like, you know, you have this backing saying like, look, this is the reason why we can keep moving forward. So I hope that helps him. I don't know. I just feel like it's different than it has been with Jeffrey Keitlinger because that guy just, he's been in charge like almost my entire career and didn't do anything at all. Like didn't even come out to see us in the desert. So I didn't really know the guy until I started speaking out. So there's a difference even in that because he at least so far, even though I'm not at work, I know he's been out to the desert locations a few times already. Oh, okay. That's, that's remarkable in of itself showing. Yes. Yes. So that's a big deal because a lot of people don't even want to show up to our locations because it's like, you know, they want to keep us out of sight, out of mind. So just for him to start showing up his first year already a couple of times, I think is good. Of course, everyone is going to be standoffish, but if he continues to keep coming out, people are going to get used to the idea of the GM just being there. Not just showing up because there's an issue, but showing up because he cares and is generally concerned about how everyone's doing. But Gina, it's also, it's two way. You were saying out of sight, out of mind. So he's demonstrating to you that he knows that you're out there in those conditions. He is collecting so much data as the Uber manager at the Metropolitan Water District. He has such perspective on how things work or don't. It's a two way demonstration. Yeah, and that's totally true because even just showing up there, like just taking a trip out there, that's an experience in itself. Right. I mean, the first time Ellen came out there, they were amazed about how far out we were and the type of conditions we were living in and how remote it was. So, yeah, that itself for him, like people could just say, oh, yeah, it's remote, it's remote. But then when you actually go out there, it's like, oh, wow, you you really out here like if you scream, no one's going to hear you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you desiccate, no one can tell. And Jason, you have some sorts of ideas about the kind of leadership that he's presented now this last almost one year? So, yeah, I've had uh, very little interaction with them, but the interaction I have had has been kind of disappointing. I mean, I'm optimistic. I'm hoping that his hands were tied. But like, for an example, one of my sons has a heart condition. And I was put under a threat assessment and I wanted to do it over Zoom or Skype or something, you know, online. And it went back and forth several times. And Adele finally said, let's just do it online. And then quickly he changed his mind and it was insistent that I did it in person. That you had to haul into the to Los Angeles from the, out in the desert? I actually came up working with Ellen because Ellen's amazing actually came out to Gene Camp, Manny Tao, the person doing the threat assessment. And we tried distancing and just what I was afraid of happened. Manny Tao came close to me, talking to me. And 
it was not a good experience. Are you talking about a COVID infection? Yeah, this was right in the middle of COVID. And this happened towards the end of last year. And he transmitted COVID to you in your encounter? No, he did not. But he got close and was talking right next to me. Okay, that kind of threatening. And we all know what that feels like is you don't know until maybe later on you find out it was a non-event, but you don't know that in the encounter. It's very threatening. Well, I just wanted to say like part of that, Claudia, is that Jason had multiple complaints and one of it was that his coworkers weren't following protocol for COVID and he had a high risk child. And we live in an area where our culture is, they don't believe it. That's the type of people we worked with in our area. Right. They thought it was the flu. We don't really need it. Well, Jason can give you more detail on that, but he had to deal with a lot of it. This is the same threat assessor that did the threat assessment on Gina. And one of my concerns was that he was going to do a covert psychological evaluation on Jason, also without his consent. You're concerned. Did that happen, Jason? We don't know because we never get to see these threat assessments. That's in those reports that nobody can yes. look at. So they keep them under wraps because I believe legal doesn't want anyone to know what they're doing. They've gotten away with it. So that's a harm, folks, that the agency is wittingly, potentially withholding some of these kinds of documents and reports that one doesn't know what has been collected about them. So I've wondered, does legal have a whole set of J. Edgar Hoover style files on employees that are, have fallen into disfavor? We don't know. How many of these have been done? We don't know. And you don't know yet if the audit has a sort of a back channel where some of that data would have been made available to them. That just can't be known. Well, that can't be known right now. Okay. So this July 12th meeting is going to be pretty important. What's amazing about the state audit, it actually brought to light all the problems with as far as length of time during investigations and actually giving results of investigations. I've gotten zero results in a year and two months of any investigation. The one result I got was they they couldn't interview my manager because he retired because it took him over two months to look at the investigation. Investigation of your case. It's not multiple cases. Correct. Wow. And it's still ongoing because what Metropolitan likes to do is they like to change it saying that it's not in EEO's wheelhouse because I'm not a protected class. It goes over to ethics. It's not an ethics wheelhouse now. It's an EEO complaint. Equal employment opportunity. Yes. Yes. And that's the state level or is it federal level? This is within company, internal. Okay. So stalling is a tactic they use so that people leave and they never have to face the consequences, which is one of the things that the state audit found and called them out on. They have a whole book of tactics that they use to harm employees. I'm beginning to put it together. I could probably write it at this point. And I wanted to also mention that the previous report that the California State Auditor issued was in June of 2004. It's 18 years ago. So that interim, and that's all Jeff Keitlinger time. So I don't know who triggers a state audit of a regional or state agency, but 18 years of an interval from auditing says a great deal about how little oversight's taken place for the Metropolitan Water District, both in terms of employee conditions and ratepayer accountability. Yes. 
actually they started to make some of the changes after the last audit and then a couple years after that they started to backslide so that tells you what kind of leadership that was and we know who that was right during the Keitlinger exactly tenure there Metropolitan has always kind of functioned as a shadow government agency that functioned without significant oversight for decades because they want to keep their head low. They want it under the radar. They don't want people writing bad stories. They don't mind if people mix MWD with DWP. They don't mind at all because they don't really know who we are so they can do whatever they want. Right. And I've blurred those agency roles and distinctions, so it's easy. But with water, it's going to be one of the limiting resources of the 21st century. And we really hope people start paying attention to their water board decisions because they're going to be critical. It's easy to attend now, and hopefully you'll talk about this, but it's easy to attend. And that right could disappear if the board votes to restrict access to in-person meetings only. Right now, you can easily attend and you can listen in and you can comment. Oh, these virtual meetings have been an amazing resource for all of us. We've never attended so many meetings as we have in the stay in place order. So you're confirming it's July 12th. Is it, it's going to be like. There's seven, six committee meetings and then the board of director meetings. It starts at 930 in the morning and the last one's at three. All of those subcommittee meetings are also important to listen to as well. Important decisions are being made. So would the intensifying water drought conditions be an opportunity to put more pressure on the accountability of the Metropolitan Water District's management levels? Yes. I mean, is that already being used as leverage to open up a kind of a comfortable way of management has been conducting itself on so many levels? The board of directors is not entirely comfortable with the amount of public input that they've received since the pandemic started. It's too easy now to comment. And I think that there is movement to restrict it so that people can't comment as easily because they would like to go back to being under the radar and making decisions without a great deal of oversight. So between the commissioners and the, the general manager, that call is made. Who is the final arbiter of that? That would, would there be a vote board. before the commission or would the general it's, manager run it's that? The board. The board. It's the board. Okay. So back to getting intimately familiar with our local water board's representation on the commission. That's what we do for our rate paying sake and in the name of workplace safety, sort of human rights kind of level stuff. So it, the, the website is mwdh2o.com. When it comes up over on the left, it says board meetings and agenda. It says learn more. And you click on that and you'll go to the schedule of meetings. You can easily attend. You can click on the agenda. You can find out what's going to happen. You can preview some of the presentations and the video link will be on the far right. And if it's not open and it should be open, just keep clicking refresh until it comes up. Correct. So Is there anything that's missing? There's a full report from the California State Auditor. There are recommendations after findings. Is there something missing for those that are going to go over to the State Auditor's website that you uh, think needs to be reintroduced for the commission's consideration or for the auditor's consideration? Are there any things standing out, some omissions, or it's a sufficient coverage? I think they did a great job. Okay. 
release the Shaw Law Group reports, the four reports, so that the, I don't know if the auditors can go back and fill in, but it would be nice if they could. I think one of the things that they don't talk about or don't hit on enough is that there is kind of an incestuous situation at Metropolitan, and we're facing it right now, where abusive ex-managers retire with the plan to return as a director, so they have even more power. Really? revolving door of a retirement plan for managers, they retire and then come back as a director. And what that does is it deprives us of new ideas. If we had directors who had better ideas, who had newer ideas, but we get stuck in these old ideas. So like with Keitlinger being stuck and wedded to outdated mid 20th century water supply ideas, if we had more directors who said, no, that's old. We and can, that's where the ratepayers and taxpayers beyond, that's where we all have skin in that game. That We certainly experienced that with the desalination plant, the Poseidon project that was about a 30-year-old technology. And so we can, if anybody's been to a water board meeting, you can see there's a bias of very old science and technology upon which they're all basing that. And we don't have that statewide water initiative qualifying for the ballot in November of this year. That was also going to be extra work to attend to, but that has gone away. But Ellen brings up an important point. It's not just the management culture that's pretty retro, but that the technology that is going to be managing this essential resource, I mean, it's really old. I wanted to go back to something you said earlier about the new GM. We worked really hard and commented, and I know people all over the state did, because he brought in new ideas to Metropolitan. So just bringing in new ideas was worth it. He brought in ideas like mutual respect rather than the polite disrespect, which we normally get. So they're very polite as they're disrespecting you to your face and shoving a, you know, a saber into your heart. He also brought in ideas on water supply. He's treating stormwater and recycled water as valued future water supplies, equivalent to imported water, because let's face it, that water is going away and it's going away really fast. So we were really impressed with those new ideas coming in because we have been kept behind other states that are actually using recycled water as a water source. And we would like to move that forward. Now we have to move faster. I mean, how did we fall behind Texas? We're so that's where we are. Yeah. So Because we know that they've made some very unmanageable sorts of decisions with all of their infrastructure. And we've seen it fail in catastrophic weather incidents. So if California is behind the Texas infrastructure commitments, then it's worse than I even imagined. Yeah. They're still, they're doing direct potable water reuse and we're not. I don't even know how that happened, but there it is. So we would like to move this along. And now we're in a situation where we have to move it along more quickly. So we would like to support our new GM as much as possible because those projects have to move more quickly. So all of you, as Gina mentioned, it's taken years to get to the kind of workplace culture attributes and taken even more years to embed technological assumptions. So where you are headed into the future, the aspirations and the young technicians that are coming up in the ranks that you're in touch with, and there's the kind of leadership 
that we're needing to exert pressure to redirect so that the technology is coming more up to date. So what other prescriptions that we haven't already mentioned are ways to get us on course with recruiting and building, adopting better technologies in the future with the Metropolitan Water District. All right, this is uh, Jason. Personally, I I think we need to, uh, I like the direction. And like I said, I'm optimistic about the new manager and I hope the new GM, I hope things do change. I hope the culture does change. So this doesn't happen to anybody else. And I have five kids. I have two daughters. I love to go out and work on cars with me. And I would love to see them go to someplace like Metropolitan because Metropolitan should be a good place to work. It should be free of harassment and everything like that. And so you're outside right now. Your goal is to hang on long enough so that you are, once again, not on any kind of a leave. I mean, with Gina, we know there's there's a medical leave and administrative leave. You're able to hang on long enough so that there are things that you can do internally to redirect workplace culture so that your offspring and other young people aspiring to take a great career on there. Is that where you're headed, Jason? Absolutely. And I totally feel the way to do that for me personally would be to get more involved with the union. I mean, I think we need to have a strong union. And I think our our union representatives are lacking quite a bit, especially our executive president, like I said, Alan Shanahan. And one of our senior stewards out in the desert, Mike Jones, I mean, when I went to turn in my supervisor for drinking and there's other employees with him drinking and on the job actually told me to just say that my supervisor was drinking and that I didn't see anybody else. And he told me, do not eat your own. Those were his words. And I, I think being more involved in getting a stronger union that isn't pitching people against each other, that we work together, you should. Gina, it's a big bite I want you to chew on, but both in terms of recruitment, and I I know you're in a sort of a delicate position right now with getting back to your employment there, but redirecting recruitment, and you're the pump mechanic out there. You can see how decisions are made that commit the agency to old technology. So those two paths, what are your thoughts that the trends in redirecting for a more beneficial trend in both recruitment and technology? I think just like Jason was saying, trying to be more involved in either the union or they also have like, for us at our company, we have our apprenticeship program and they have a committee for that, like getting involved in that kind of stuff. The apprenticeship program, which I went through, has their own committee to like make changes or bring in new technology for the students to learn, that kind of thing. Getting involved in those areas and being proactive is like the best solution to change things, at least at my point of view. I didn't get a lot of help from, you know, my union or my manager. So the way I helped myself was getting involved and taking a position in the union myself. And that's how I met Ellen. So combining powers, meeting more people with similar interests to move your actions forward. It's about being more proactive right now. Everything that's going on in the country, rights being turned around for women. It's important for us to rally together right now. It's a entire conversation in our house, you know, what's going on at work. Okay. 
and what's going on in the country, how it coincides, how it affects my children. You know, they're pretty involved. You can even, Jason talks with my kids because, you know, whenever I'm sharing stories and he's sharing stories, especially my older ones, they're there listening and weighing in too about their own opinions. Like, I don't want to put up with that. I don't want to deal with that. You know, so they're forming their own ideas on how they want to be respected in the workplace and in their community. Because I think I've mentioned before, my oldest child is gender non-binary and has to go through a lot of different things being in that minority group and being a person of color. And then Lucy, my second oldest, going into welding, which she just got certified in her position three and four for stick welding, which is amazing for a 17-year-old. She doesn't even have her driver's license, but she is state certified welder now. Well, congratulations. Uh, Right. But constantly talking, having conversations with people. Like you were saying earlier when we were first getting on, when you were going to that wedding, you know, you were talking it up. You still want to get people involved because they should be involved at this time. There's a lot of things going on that we need people to participate in and take ownership of. So that's how I see things progressing and moving forward. That's why I continue to fight this fight and wanting to go back, even though it's bad. I know it's bad, but I want to make it better and stick it out so that I make it better for my kids. Because that's what it's really about. We're evolving. We're trying to make it better for the next generation. Thank you for that. And so, Ellen, make this intersection of recruitment of human resources and commitment to more progressive, more beneficial technologies, those two really are tracking together. It's a whole organizational mindset that works both of those pathways. So will you wrap with your answer about how much those intersect and how we're getting there? Well, I think the new GM is going to hopefully take us quite a distance. I know he's in a tough position because people around him are waiting for him to fail or plotting for him to fail. So So that they can replace him. That's what they want. And go back to business as usual. So unfortunately, we have a pipeline of managers that Adele has to deal with who were chosen because they're either unquestioning in their assent. So they're not going to question someone who comes up with bad ideas or good ideas. We'd like people who come up with good ideas. I've seen people leave who got excited about working on stormwater projects. And then they realized they couldn't do anything at Metropolitan. They looked on the outside and got a job immediately working on stormwater projects. And I introduced them, but he, so we lost a really good manager there. So the change is happening outside the organization. And that is the huge challenge. Getting this to happen inside. We need it to happen inside. We need people who are are actually going to be valued. We have to communicate to people that if they're different, Black women engineers need to come in and feel valued. We lost two of them. They didn't feel valued. They when did that happen? That was a couple of years ago. Okay. So hopefully with the changes that Adele is bringing, he's bringing in women who are now head of the EEO office, head of the diversity, equity, and inclusion office, and head of the sustainability, resiliency, and innovations office. So hopefully these changes will start happening. My concern is that those women won't be valued. And the changes that they want to bring in won't be valued. We'll see. I am also cautiously optimistic. I think we're all waiting. I think it's been a tough year for Adele. I think he's still discovering how deeply dysfunctional this culture is. And I I joked with him the first five-minute conversation I had with him. I said, 
in two years, you're going to come back to me and say, I had no idea it was this bad. I don't think he did. Hopefully it's still unfolding to him, but it's, it's so deep, so wide. And it's so, it's been taking place over such a long period of time. He's got a small rudder with a huge ship and hopefully this can happen. We are for the first time feeling like there can be some significant change, not just with the employee situation, but with also with water. Well, thank you for that. And I hope it's very clear to listeners the takeaways about the need to follow the board. They're called the directors, and I incorrectly call them the commissioners, but the board of directors for the commission of the water, Metropolitan Water District, following their policy commitments they make and cultivating a relationship with your water district representative on that commission, because it directly relates to your water availability and your water rates that you're paying, as well as you're watching after your fellow humans that are working in in agencies that are working and failing workplace culture. So I want to thank all three of you for being on Ask a Leader today. It's so edifying and I hope that we can get another update from you, perhaps when there's movement with the Shaw Group reports, or there's, if there's something troubling on the horizon with the general manager's appointment, something, if we can keep a place to have you come back to ask a leader. Thanks for having us today, Claudia. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Claudia. I appreciate it. Let me talk and share my story. Thanks, Claudia. Nice seeing you. Well, thank you all. My guests were Ellen Mackey, senior ecologist, Gina Chavez, water pump plant mechanic, and Jacob Sierras, an aqueduct pump specialist, all at the Metropolitan Water District. Well, that's my wrap on next week's show. UCI professor emeritus Jack Miles will talk about his new book that he co-wrote with Mark Taylor. It's called A Friendship in Twilight, Lockdown Conversations on Death and Life. Talk with you next week. Thank you, everyone, for listening. <laughs>